0: Hello, this is Snigdha from Newslaundry.com, bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Sunday, the 24th of January. India recorded a little under 15,000 new COVID-19 cases in the last 24 hours. The overall COVID tally remained on the 1.06 crore or 10.6 million mark. Active cases remained under 2 lakh, while the number of recoveries crossed the 1.03 crore or 10.3 million mark. Under 200 fresh fatalities were reported in the country in the last 24 hours. According to the Union Health Ministry's data, over 15 lakh people were administered the COVID vaccine till 6pm yesterday as the first week of the vaccination drive ended. 11 people who received the shot have been hospitalised so far and six of them have died. The ministry said, however, that none of the deaths were related to the vaccine. Meanwhile, the health ministry said yesterday that from next week, the centre will expand access to Bharat Biotech's Covaxin to seven states in addition to the 12 states where it's already being administered. The seven states administering Covaxin from next week will be Chhattisgarh, Gujarat, Jharkhand, Kerala, Madhya Pradesh, Punjab and West Bengal. In Karnataka, just a day after the state government decided to vaccinate staff at all airports in the state on a priority basis, considering them as frontline workers, the government withdrew the order today. According to a clarification issued by the Commissioner of Health and Family Welfare Services, the circular, which mentioned airport staff as frontline workers, was withdrawn. The clarification read that no action should be taken on the said circular. So far, India has sent vaccines to Bhutan, Maldives, Nepal, Myanmar, Bangladesh, Brazil and Morocco. Yesterday, the Sri Lankan president said that the country will receive free vaccines from India by 27th of January. The announcement came a day after Sri Lanka approved emergency use of Oxford-AstraZeneca's Covishield vaccine. Our story of the week on Daily dose are the recent safety measures adopted by the Uttar Pradesh and Madhya Pradesh government to protect women. The farmers' agitation against the centre's farm laws at the borders of Delhi completed two months today. Farmers yesterday claimed to have received a green signal from the Delhi police to hold their tractor rally inside the national capital on Republic Day. After the 11th round of discussions between the Centre and the farmers failed to resolve the deadlock on Friday, farmer groups had said that they would go ahead with the tractor rally on the 26th of January. After attending a meeting between the unions and the police yesterday, farmer leader Abhimanyu Kohar said that the tractor rallies are likely to begin from Ghazipur, Singhu and Tikri border points of Delhi. Bharatiya Kisan Union leader Gurnam Singh Chanduni meanwhile appealed to the participating farmers to maintain discipline and to follow the instructions issued by the farmers committee. Several groups of farmers have left from Punjab and Haryana in their tractor trolleys and other vehicles to participate in the rally in Delhi. The anger of the farmers against the media is palpable. From Z News proposing a Khalistani angle to the protests against sections of the media that were suggesting that the farmers were being misled, farmers have been vocal about their anger and distrust towards what they call Godi media. So much so that they even started their own bi-weekly community-run newspaper called the Trolley Times in order to reclaim their discourse. To know about how the farmers' fight is a two-fold one, one against the new laws and the other against the media's misrepresentation, do read Ashif Iqbal's report on Newslaundry.com. It is titled, Reclaiming the Narrative. What farmer protests and trolley times tell us about media's systemic failure? West Bengal Chief Minister Mamta Banerjee yesterday refused to speak at an event after her speech was interrupted by Jai Shri Ram slogans. Ahead of the Bengal Assembly elections, the BJP and Trinamul Congress were sharing the stage at an event to mark the 125th birth anniversary of Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose. Prime Minister Narendra Modi, who was in Kolkata to attend the event yesterday, was present on the stage during the sloganeering. Upset by the slogans, Mamta Banerjee told the gathering, and I quote, I feel a government program should have some dignity. This is a government program, not the program of a political party. This is a public programme. I thank the Prime Minister and the Culture Ministry for organising the programme in Kolkata, but it doesn't behove you to humiliate a person after extending an invitation. As a protest, I will not say anything. The Prime Minister paid tributes to the freedom fighter at Netaji Bhavan in the city. He is scheduled to inaugurate a permanent museum dedicated to Bose. The Prime Minister is also scheduled to release a memorial postal stamp on the occasion of the birth anniversary. Earlier in the day, Mamata Banerjee had held a huge rally in Kolkata to mark Bose's birth anniversary. In an apparent jibe at the BJP, she said that her party does not celebrate the occasion of Netaji's birth anniversary only on election years. Ahead of the upcoming assembly elections in Tamil Nadu, Congress leader Rahul Gandhi yesterday launched his party's campaign for the polls with a roadshow in Coimbatore. Elections in Tamil Nadu for 234 Legislative Assembly seats will be held in the month of May as the current term of the government will end on 2nd of May 2021. The Election Commission of India recently released the electoral rolls for the polls. According to the current roll, the total electorate or voters in the state stands at 6.26 crores, out of which 3.18 crore eligible voters are women, 3.08 crores are men, and over 7,000 are transgender persons. Rahul Gandhi, while launching his campaign in the state, hit out at the Prime Minister Narendra Modi, saying that he had no respect for the state's people, language and culture. At his roadshow, Gandhi also called out the centre over the farmers' protest. He said, and I quote, what belongs to the farmers is being taken away. That is why we stand with the farmers. Prime Minister Modi partners with big businessmen in India. Unquote. Gandhi is also scheduled to campaign in multiple districts during his three day visit to the state. Dear listeners, please consider this a trigger warning as the following news story contains instances of violence against animals. In another update from Tamil Nadu, an elephant died near Uti due to severe bleeding. The injury was caused by a burning tyre thrown by the staffers of a resort on January 8. Two days after its death, the Tamil Nadu police arrested two people in connection with the incident on Friday. The elephant, which had strayed into human habitat, was chased away by people at the resort. One of them threw a burning tyre to scare the elephant away, but the tyre was stuck to its ear. A video of the incident circulated on social media showed the elephant fleeing the spot and trumpeting in pain. Matrabhumi reported that the forest department officials found the injured elephant earlier this week. The officials on Tuesday arranged for transport to take the animal away for treatment, but it died on the way. A senior forest official said, and I quote... They threw a tyre filled with kerosene at the elephant, which was already being treated by the forest department for a deep back injury. Unquote. Former union minister M.J. Akbar yesterday told a Delhi court yet again that the allegations of sexual misconduct made by journalist Priya Ramani against him were fabricated and false. Akbar's lawyer Gita Lutra told the magistrate's court that the social media trial was unacceptable in a country that follows the rule of law. Ramani had made accusations of sexual harassment against Akbar in 2018 when the MeToo movement began in India. In the aftermath, Akbar resigned from the Union Council of Ministers. Advocate Luthra raised questions over Ramani deleting her Twitter account, which she said contained primary evidence related to the case. Luthra said, and I quote, I want to show what is bad faith. Removing the tweet when the matter was subjudice was bad faith. Akbar's lawyer went on to say that Romani's allegations of MJ Akbar's sexual misconduct in a hotel were complete hearsay. Commenting on Ramani's witnesses, Lutra argued that the statements of both her witnesses, namely Nilofer Venkatraman and Ghazala Wahab, could not be considered. She said that one was an interested witness as she is Romani's friend and the other gave a version of a story which was unconnected to the present case. After Ramani's allegation during the MeToo movement in 2018, around 20 more women had come forward and accused Akbar of sexual misconduct over several years during his journalistic career. The Patiala House Court had summoned Rahmani as an accused in 2019 after Akbar filed a defamation case against her. Coming back to the story of the week. Did you know every 16 minutes a woman is raped somewhere in India? In 2019, the country recorded 88 rape cases every single day. There were more than 4 lakh cases of reported crimes against women in 2019. 11% out of them were from the Dalit community. Though Madhya Pradesh and Uttar Pradesh seem to be competing to top the list even now, in 2019, Uttar Pradesh took the crown of shame. The year before that, it was Madhya Pradesh. In case you're wondering where I got all this data from, it is from the 2019 report by the National Crime Record Bureau that was released in September last year. Every day we hear of one horrific case after another. No time to process. I've forgotten the number of times I've had to give trigger warnings on daily dose. It's almost a daily affair. Today we are going to talk about the response of these two state governments to these crimes. The Madhya Pradesh Chief Minister Shivrad Singh Chauhan launched an awareness programme on crime against women called Samman early this month. Apart from supporting the minimum age of marriage for women to be increased from 18 years to 21 years and boasting about how crimes against women have reduced in the state, the chief minister proudly declared that his government will set up a system through which a woman leaving for work will have to register herself at the local police station and she will be tracked for her safety. Tracked. You heard that right. The government, with all its resources, manpower and experience, has come to the conclusion that surveilling women is the solution to reducing crimes against them. Let's move to Uttar Pradesh now, where the state government has taken things to the next level, all in the name of protecting women, of course. Lucknow Police is equipping all public places with artificial intelligence-enabled cameras. The cameras will surveil women, tracking their expressions when they are out. If the cameras identify distress on a woman's face, they will send an alert to the nearest police station, without her consent. The important question to ask here is what defines a woman's distress? For instance, let's imagine a situation where a couple, married or unmarried, is out on a date. And they get into an argument. The woman starts crying or talking loudly. What happens then? The camera sends an alert to the police station without the woman's consent. Even if women do not want to be watched 24-7, her body and location will be constantly under surveillance the moment she steps out of her home. The biggest concern here, first of all, is the lack of consent, which is one of the most important factors to be considered when one talks about eradicating violence against women. It is being completely overlooked by the Uttar Pradesh government. Second thing that is concerning is that facial recognition can be inaccurate more often than not. It can lead to false positives, harassment by the police, and we know how the police works in our country, and also over-policing where emotion tracking is used. Also, no one knows how the data will be stored, where it will be stored, who will have access to it, and a host of other different things. And for your information, Uttar Pradesh has two other facial recognition systems in place already. So, is asking women to give up their privacy in return for their safety the solution to the violence women face? In an article about surveillance during the pandemic published by the Financial Times, author Yuval Noah Harari rightly points out, and I quote, the decisions people and governments take in the next few weeks will probably shape the world for years to come. They will shape not just our healthcare systems, but our economy, politics and culture. We must act quickly and decisively. We should also take into account the long-term consequences of our actions. When choosing between alternatives, we should ask ourselves not only how to overcome the immediate threat, but also what kind of a world will we inhabit once the storm passes. Unquote. And now for some news from the world of entertainment. The iconic American television and radio show host Larry King died yesterday at the age of 87. The news was made public through an official statement on his Twitter account, which did not mention how he passed away, but reports earlier this month said that King had tested positive for COVID-19 and had suffered several health problems in recent years. Larry King had suffered a heart attack in 1987 and was later treated twice for cancer. The renowned television host interviewed iconic leaders and celebrities during his 60-year-long career. He became a household name not just in America but around the world with his CNN show Larry King Live, which ran for 25 years. In 2011, he received an Emmy Award for Lifetime Achievement a year after he had announced his retirement. He conducted around 50,000 interviews on air. The long list of people interviewed by King ranged from every United States president since 1974 world leaders like Yasser Arafat and Vladimir Putin and celebrities like Frank Sinatra and Marlon Brando. Tributes for King poured in yesterday from politicians and Hollywood, led by Putin, who hailed the interviewer's great professionalism and unquestioned journalistic authority. King's media career had started in the radio industry. At the age of 23, he had gone to Florida in search of a job and become a disc jockey for a Miami radio station in 1957. And now for some international updates. Russian police detained more than 3,000 people yesterday in a crackdown on protests in support of the jailed opposition leader Alexei Navalny. Tens of thousands of Russians took to the streets yesterday to demand the release of Kremlin critic Navalny. Navalny was arrested on 17th of January when he returned to Russia from Germany for the first time since being poisoned with a nerve agent. Navalny had alleged that the attack on him was done by the government of President Vladimir Putin. He had called on his supporters to protest after being arrested last weekend. The authorities had warned people not to attend yesterday's demonstrations, saying that they risked catching COVID-19 as well as a prosecution and possible jail time for attending an unauthorised event. According to a Reuters report in central Moscow, thousands of people gathered in one of the biggest unauthorised rallies for years. Police were seen roughly detaining people, bundling them into nearby vans. Riot police were also seen beating and dragging away protesters. Navalny is an anti-corruption campaigner and the most prominent face of the Russian opposition to Vladimir Putin. And now for a quick COVID update. The global COVID tally crossed the 98.8 million mark in the last 24 hours, while over 21.2 million people have lost their lives to the virus. Global recoveries, meanwhile, surged to 54.5 million. And now for some homegrown stuff from Newslaundry.com. Renting Ferraris in Monaco, buying Rolex watches using company funds and changing TRPs to get desired outcomes. These are just some of the unscrupulous practices followed by top former executives of the Broadcast Research Audience Council, according to a forensic audit of its operations. News Laundry managed to access a copy of the forensic report. It reveals a litany of alleged derelictions, mainly by a group of former executives. And quite damningly, the report notes that the Bach executives used outliers, meta rule and channel audience control to alter TRPs and get desired outcomes. There's evidence of this manipulation in 2017, 2018 and 2019 across channels in English and Telugu. The report notes favoritisms showed to a handful of channels and suggests that TRPs were pre-decided in some cases. For a comprehensive rundown of some of the violations detailed in the audit report, please read my colleague Pratik's report titled, Ferrari, Rolex and TRP rigging. Audit report exposes malpractices at bark. You'll find the report on our website, newslaundry.com. Dear listeners, the unfolding of this scam is the perfect example that depicts something that News Laundry has been hopping on and on about since the day it was founded. That, our current news model, is deeply flawed. It is a system where the interests of the public or the news consumers take a backseat, while the interests of corporates and the government become more important. This is bound to happen when media organisations are funded by big businesses and the government. And this is exactly why News Laundry consciously chose to remain 100% free of advertisements. We depend on folks like you who understand the importance of independent media to support us through a modest monthly subscription fee. So please do consider helping us survive in this world dominated by legacy media. Subscribe to News Laundry and pay to keep news free. That's all for today. Have a great day or a good night depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow.